Hey, it's Seaver with another episode of my Rockstar Interviews podcast, and this time we've got Chicago guy Dennis DeYoung, one of the founding members of Styx. Uh, Dennis, uh, welcome to The Drive. How's the family? I, I spoke with your wife, Suzanne, a moment ago. Is uh, everything good? Everybody healthy? Oh, yeah, no, 110 is, is what I understand. But, um, yeah, you got a big show coming up. I do. And if you'd have told me this was going to happen to me at my age of 72, I tell you, my sphincters would have been more relaxed when I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> it is the 40th anniversary album of uh, The Grand Illusion. And, yes, it's the Rosemont Theater, which is coming up on May 4th, the Saturday night. And there are still some tickets available for that show, as I understand. Not many. I know. So get them while they're, while they're going. But, yeah, we're going to be doing, see, what we're doing essentially the Grand Illusion album start to finish for the first act of the show where we don't, there's no talking, no, no nonsense played as if you were listening to it in your basement or your bedroom when you were 17. And uh, then we take a short break, and we come back and we, we play all the other hits that were not on Grand Illusion, things like Lady, Best of Times, Too Much Time on My Hands, Renegade, Blue Collar Man, uh, you name it, Mr. Yeah. Roboto, all, all the hits. Uh, and then we go out in the parking lot and we direct traffic. Oh, great. That sounds That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, actually, and I got a... Yeah, it's River Road. Uh, right over there in the good old Rosemont. Uh, but I got to correct you. Uh, I was 15 when I picked up uh, The Grand Illusion for the first time. Uh, and it's a true story. I bought the album and gave it to my friend for Christmas. And, and, and I opened up his gift and it was the same thing. So we gave each other The Grand Illusion as gifts for Christmas in the, uh, I believe it was 1977. And we love it. I, I love The Grand Illusion and I, I love Pieces of Eight. And Styx is one of my favorite bands of all time. It's, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm kind of thrilled to be talking. I'm very thrilled to be talking to, to you, uh, Dennis DeYoung. But uh, let's get whatever few tickets are left at this for this show on May 4th sold. Uh, because uh, it, it's a big deal for you. I mean, uh, 40 years. My God. Yeah, yeah, and I'd like your phone number and your friend's phone number so I can have my kids call you and thank you. <laughs> no problem, my man. Grand Illusion album. Um, it, put them through college and all that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, uh, listen, I'm, a, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. I, I've said this a million times. I lived at the greatest time in the history of mankind to be a musician never before, and I don't think ever after. Well, so many musicians have the opportunities I had and we had at that time. Uh, music was the focal point of all young people's lives. There were no distractions like the Internet or this, that, or the other thing, video games. Yeah. It was just music. And so I was lucky by birth, baby. I was there making making music when kids you know, thought it was the most important thing in their life, and I I don't know how much luckier you get than that. And, you know, we strung together uh, a bunch of songs that people apparently still like. So I I feel really fortunate to be, you know, this age, because, like, I'm going to be going playing in New York and in Pennsylvania this weekend, and people are going to, if they get a chance to come up to me, they're going to thank me for coming to their cities. Yeah. Well, I'm with Mother Teresa handing out, you know, food to the poor. It's amazing to me that. Let me ask you, since you're talking about interacting with the fans, what's the most uh, unusual thing or gift you have received from uh, a backstage meet and greet with fans? And, and, and do you still have any of those things? Well, I keep some of this. 
stuff. You know, um, if I kept it all, I'd have to, you know, I already have too many storage units, if you know what I say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, storage units are the things, the places you spend a lot of money to put things you'll never care about or, or have, you know, have again. So I kept some things that are important, but most of the things, they go by the wayside. Uh, what, what is the craziest thing ever? You know, I, guess the, I don't know if there's anything really wacky. A lot of people give me uh, portraits they've done of me. And I look at them sometimes and I think, do I look like that? But, uh, you know, the people are trying hard. The fact that someone would sit down and try to put my puss on a piece of paper is, you know, that's, that's pretty special in the first place. But people are so nice. They, you know, most people my age are, you know, people, you know the relatives and friends are looking to kick them to the curb. But people come up to me and, and they tell me how much the music I was involved in creating meant in their lives mm-hmm. and they mean it. And when I was doing it, let me tell you, Seaver, I had no clue. Kids, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just making up stuff as I went along. I mean, you know, people always attribute a great deal more um, than they need to to people who are creative, people who make movies and write books. And, you know, we're just people looking for approval. Right. Really. We're just... We, wanted, we needed a hug from you, Seaver, Seaver if you'd have just not bought the Grand Illusion album and come to my house and hug me. It might have been worth something, too. I don't know. Well, you but know... That's what we do. It's like you on the radio, you know, you're out there. Hey, somebody out there, like me. Yeah, yeah, we, we all have we all have a little bit of a need to be validated and loved. And it's true, it's a human condition. But, um, you, you know, you wrote eight of Stick's top ten singles. So um, being creative as a player and being creative as a songwriter, those are two different things. Lots of people can play the piano. Lots of people can play the guitar. But you wrote these songs. You, are, you have a gift for melody, um, Dennis DeYoung. I, I just got to say that right out. Well, I always thought of myself as a melody man in a rhythm age, because mm-hmm. that's who I am. Mm-hmm. But if you think back, if I go, Lady, when you're with me, I'm smiling. That's the first one I wrote, and it just, I don't even know how I did it. When I look back and try to figure out, as, as a guy who's 25 years old, where that came from, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I can't remember. Right. I do know that I wasn't a songwriter. And... We got a record deal, and suddenly, from going from a cover band who simply had to imitate, right? The mm-hmm. blueprint's there, baby. You don't have to. You don't have to create it from from brick one. It's there. You just imitate it. That's easy. When you have to find your own original voice, that gets that. That's when it really. That's when they separate the men from the boys. That's or right. The women from the girls. That's right. As it were, these days. And uh, like I said. Um, I love melody because, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer, but I'm at like that first year of baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So we were still tied to a lot of the music that came from the 40s and the 50s because that's when we grew up. Right. And, uh, you know, I played accordion. That's what I started on at seven <laughs> years old. And if you don't think that's a handicap, I'll tell you right now it was. But well, they, they got the white keys. They got the black keys. I mean, it's sort of the same thing, right? I mean, come no. on. L- let me just tell you the difference. When you look at a, a keyboard on an accordion, it's vertical. Well, yeah. When you look at the keyboard on a piano, it's horizontal. It makes a difference. I remember when I first started playing the piano at my, my cousin Karen's house, I used to have to put my head, lay it sideways <laughs> on the keys and look at the keys to know where they From were. the sideways. I love that. And, you know, there's buttons on the accordion, right? Yeah. And you can't see them. The buttons on and the other side, right. of your left hand to play. All right. It's only your four fingers, and you don't even get to see those keys. Well, you're talking so about... It's really a different experience. But when we first started writing music, when J.Y. first joined the band and J.C. was there, um, you know, I, I, did, I didn't know anything about writing music. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I Hit Lady was like one of the first things I ever wrote. And I thought, well, that's good. 
Well, let's talk about your childhood. Um, you're a Southsider, of course. And, um, uh, you I have to lay down on the couch and give you 250 an hour? Or, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the deal. I, I understand you grew up near or around the great Dick Butkus. Uh, did you know him? I had two. I had two. I had one really important encounter with Dick Butkus. Um, I was. Uh, I, I fancied myself an athlete when I was younger, and, and really wanted my first goal in life was to be uh, to take Jim Landis's place on the White Sox, but that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> but I was down at Gately Field, and we played baseball down there. And um, one day I was there. And I was, we were just playing, you know, a little sandlot baseball, me and a couple guys. And there was this guy working out, and they had like one of those fountains behind him, one of those stone fountains. And I went there to get a drink, and who's standing behind me but Butkus? Right. He was, my God, he was like a doorway. Yeah. And, you know, he had this, he had the crew cut. I think he was at the University of Illinois at the time. Sure. Uh, he was a gigantic man. And, and the, uh, my wife, who I met, uh, uh, went to went to grade school in Fernwood where Dick grew up, right? And his house was like a block from my where my wife um, went to grade school. Okay, so that's it for Butkus. I, other than that, you know, a couple of sightings, but he was a very large man. Yeah, well, you called him Butt Kiss and then ran like hell. I think that's that's the story I heard. Anyway, no, no way. <laughs> no way. He, he wasn't Dick Butkus then. He was just becoming Dick Butkus. Right. He was at the U of I. Right. But I, here's a friend. I'll tell you this. I had a, fr- a friend, Randy, who played. This is great. He played football for Fanger. Now Fanger at the time was uh, Butkus's big rival, the giant rival. Right. Uh, he Butkus played for CBS, and he was a middle linebacker. And my buddy Randy, uh, he played center for Fanger. And he said this one time. He, he always recalled the time that he hurt Dick Butkus. He says, I snapped the ball, and he came charging at me, and I fell to the ground not to get hurt, and he tripped on me and sprained his ankle. <laughs> Just diving away. Oh, here yeah, comes I Dick. i got to get out of his way. That's funny. All right, so the Rosemont know, Theater. But, no, listen, yeah. Southside guy and the band, like, you know, the Panazza Brothers and myself, we grew up on the same street. So that's how it started back in, believe it or not, 1962. Ah, that's the year I was. We born. weren't a rock band. We were just going to play weddings and try yeah. to make our parents smile. And then February 9, uh, 1964, my life was changed like so many musicians. When on the Ed Sullivan stage, you know, stood those four lads from Liverpool, and I said, "Hey, let's start playing rock and roll, and uh, let's 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 be the next Beatles." And that was the goal. And um, so that's how that's how it really started. And coincidentally, I, I'm working on a brand new album right now. It's almost finished, and I'm I'm just I'm gonna do do some overdubs right now downstairs on this track, which is a it's an homage to Beatles in that night. And I'm I'm thrilled. It really turned out cool. Well, let me let me ask you uh, because. I, I watched the video of uh, Proof of Heaven with uh, you and uh, other Chicago guy, Jim Peterick, and I got to tell you, I really like that song. Your Peterick sense- in that video? Oh, you- the guy with the purple hair? Yeah, the guy with the purple hair and the, and, and, and the chick shirt. Yeah, that's him. Who he is? I thought I didn't know. I just walked on set and there was this guy. This no, is some guy. Jimmy and I are, we've been working together almost a year and a half on this record. Uh, my last is probably my last album. I, I really expected it to be my last one. And um, yeah, he's a great guy. And we've been and that that song "Proof of Heaven." Check it out, kids. It's on my my Facebook page. It's on YouTube. I shared um, it on my Facebook page, so uh, definitely check it out. I like it. It's a really good song. It's it sort okay, of reminds me of some of um, your vocals are so. And, and, and uh, your voice is in great shape. Thanks. 
and there's the big, you know, the big sticks like chorus that very much in there, and it yep. has the, this and the that, and uh, you know, the record I'm making right now is really uh, it's aimed at that sticks audience that was so happy between '75 and '83 to be part of the whole thing, and I went back to my roots. And I said, hey, these are the tricks. I'll pull all these tricks out of my hat. I'll write some great songs, and we'll, we'll apply it, you know, uh, liberally. And uh, Proof of Heaven was a song that Jim and I came up with for my record. And then he had his um, World Stage album coming out, and he wanted me to sing on it. I said, why don't we take uh, Proof of Heaven and put it on yours now, and then I'll, I'll put it on mine when it comes out. And so that's what we did. Perfect. And let me just say this. Jim Peterick is the reason... Uh, I'm, I'm making a new album because I've had a record company offered me a deal like three years ago to make one. I just didn't have the motivation, Seaver. Mm-hmm. You know, at my age, I'm thinking all the work I had to do, and you know how much the music business has changed. Mm-hmm. Any any old fart will tell you that. But Jim kept saying, "Man, you gotta you gotta make at least one more because the world needs to hear your music." And I said, "Well, I want their names." <laughs> you want all three of them, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Because they're they're mystery to me. So. I owe him a lot. Yeah. He's my neighbor, and, um, you know, he's, he wrote Eye of the Tiger. Did you know that? Oh, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think he'll tell you I that. Uh, today. I was in the car. Yeah, right. Uh, the, the house that uh, the Sylvester Stallone uh, built, I believe, is how he pre- uh, he mentions it. Uh, that's how he describes the song. Yeah, the house that Sly built, that's the house he lives in now. That's uh, Jim Peter Klein. Anyway, uh, yeah, Dennis DeYoung, it is it is a pleasure talking to you. Um, I know you're going to sell this show out on May 4th at the uh, Rosemont Theater, uh, a theater that is near and dear to your heart. And uh, I, uh, I, I wish you all the luck in the world with your new album. Thank you, my friend. Go to my Facebook page, kids. I write all that stuff. I read it all. And uh, I just want to tell you people at the drive, you made a wonderful offer to me to come down and do a little listener thing. I'm going to do it. I just couldn't do it this week because I'm swamped. So I want to come down there and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll do a thing where I'll sit down and I'll play some tunes on the piano and answer questions. Oh, that's going to be great. You know, and it's, unless Robert Mueller's asking them. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Uh, Dennis DeYoung, thank you. And, and, uh, and it's been great talking to you. Thank you, my friend. All right.